crazy. Hi, this is Serendipity Soup. It's a podcast about serendipity, funnily enough. It's about success, failure, hard work and pure dumb luck. But it's not a podcast about celebrities or Silicon Valley billionaires because, frankly, they're not normal. So this isn't about taking lessons from thinly disguised humble brags. Instead, it's a community of ordinary people with something interesting to say about how their life has turned out. If that sounds like you, get in touch. You can email me using soupofserendipity, or one word, at gmail.com. There might be happy endings, or there might not, because life isn't a story. It's much more complicated and wonderful than that. So, wherever you are in the world, and wherever you are in your life, I hope you'll find something useful to take away from these conversations. Hello. And welcome to Serendipity Soup, the antidote to celebrity success podcasts. My name's Matt Georges, and this month I've been mostly stuck indoors with COVID, so apologies if this intro is not quite as positive and tip-top as it normally is, but uh, nevertheless, I'm getting through it, and uh, oh, we're nearly at the end of January, thank goodness. Okay, so this month I'm talking to Chris Grimes. Chris is in many ways the essential flavour of Serendipity Soup. He and I first met on a training course where he was role-playing a person I was having trouble dealing with at work. Over lunch, we hit it off, and before I knew it, I'd volunteered to help him make a short comedy film. Every so often, we'd bump into each other, and then, a few months back, I discovered that on top of all his other jobs, he'd started his own podcast. What are those other jobs? Well, Chris is an actor, a teacher, a trainer, a comedy improviser, and a coach. And now he's a podcaster too. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground, but the main things I took away from my time chatting with Chris were his positive can-do mentality, or yes-and mentality, as it's known in the comedy improvisation world he inhabits, as well as his sense of being calm, self-aware, and really just confident without being arrogant. I've listened back to this interview a few times, actually, as I always do when I'm preparing to get them published, and I'm still finding interesting thoughts and stories that make me stop, pause the recording, and think a bit about how that applies to my life. I really hope you find the same. I'd definitely describe Chris as wise, although not to his face as he'd laugh me out of the room, but that's part of his appeal, that he wears his wisdom so lightly. Anyway, that's my view. You can make your own mind up once you've had a listen. Oh, and while we're talking about that, there's links to all the many interesting things Chris mentions in the show notes in case you'd like to pursue any of them further. Right, housekeeping pretty light again this month. Uh, This is my first ever face-to-face interview, very exciting, and it was recorded at the Tobacco Factory in Bristol, in line with COVID regulations at the time, thank you very much, which was October 2021. Big thanks to the Tobacco Factory team for making me and Chris so welcome. Uh, It was really nice to be back there, actually, after so many years away. The only slight downside is it's a bit echoey and there's some occasional background noise, but hopefully that won't detract from your enjoyment of the interview. There's a couple of swearies hiding in the verbal undergrowth, but nothing too much to worry about. I think actually, though, Chris does drop the F-bomb at one point, so apologies for that. There's also a spoiler for the 2020 Pixar film Soul, so if you haven't seen it yet and you'd like to, which I would really recommend, by the way, then watch out for that. Uh, I do give a warning when it's coming up. Also, as is often the case in my podcast, there's some talk about depression and mental health, And I do know that happens a lot, and I'm trying to keep it from happening on every episode. But on the other hand, I do think it's important to normalise discussions about mental health. And in any case, it was Chris who brought it up rather than me. So I like to let my guests take the conversation where they want it to go. Okay, other than that, I think we're ready to go. Time for a taste of Serendipity Soup. So Chris Grimes is me. I live about 500 yards to the right of this microphone in Bristol. We're in a lovely place called the Tobacco Factory at the moment, which is a real artistic hub here in Bristol. Mm. Yes, lovely to see you again, because we (laughs) have had an anniversary recently, which you won't necessarily remember, which is 16 years ago. You were kind enough to uh, volunteer to help out on a short film I was making called Knock Knock. Yeah. It's incredible that it's come at that time, actually. It's fortuitous, maybe serendipitous. Oh, see what you're doing there. That's kind of where I wanted to take the conversation, which is that you and I, we met, it must have been 16 years ago, because we met at an environment agency 
training event? Yeah, I was there doing co-facilitating. I think it was probably personal impact and presence, something like that. Yeah. Because in my bread and butter work, I work as a communication skills consultant and coach facilitator. Mm -hmm. And it's because of my background of being a drama teacher, an actor and a comedy improvisation performer. So it was that transferable skill of corporate role play stroke then into facilitation and running workshops on soft skills that I met you for the Environment Agency. Yeah. And we just hit it off. I think I was probably role playing someone you know a sort of slightly if I can say the word RC protagonist to you okay. we got on really well and then you just got very enamored by the fact me wibbling on what was on my plate at the moment where I, the next day or the next week I was about to make a film you took a day off unpaid in order to become a runner for me That's on right. that day and so what was lovely serendipitously the photograph came around through my photo timeline a couple of days ago and I've sent it, I now know, to the wrong old mobile WhatsApp for you. <laughs> so okay. in the ether is a picture of you and me 16 years ago doing the sort of, and that's a wrap photograph. We're yeah. all gathering around the back of a car with all of our clubber loaded back in. Yeah. But it's so, a dark comic short called Knock Knock that to this day I'm very proud of. Yeah, and for anyone listening, you can see that on Chris Grimes' website. Chris you, Grimes. Yes, chrisgrimes.uk. And if you if Google Chris Grimes and Knock Knock, mm-hmm. uh, a dark comic short, it's a film about addiction, about an addict with a difference and a dealer with a twist. It's, it's many years since I've said that, actually. Yeah. But to answer your question, I live in Southville in Bristol where I've lived the last 22 years. I was having a look at your website to kind of familiarise myself. You've got something you call a portfolio career, which is not a term... I think I've vaguely heard of it before, but not really. So what all the different things that you do? Well, I was going to ask you which website you've looked at, and it's not to confuse the proposition, but but if you've looked at chrisgrimes.uk, that's the global head of myself brand is Chris Grimes. Mm -hmm. But I run a a communication skills training and coaching company, which I co-run with someone called Mm secondcurve.uk. There is a book by Charles Handy called Second Curve. I didn't write the book, but nor had the domain secondcurve.uk been bought, so that's what I got behind because I really believe in this idea that we're all on a curve, but because change is inevitable in life, your curve will begin to wane. So what do you do to attach to your second curve, which is going to pull you towards your future? So it's a really interesting creative plot, I suppose, because, you know, life isn't just two curves, it's many curves. The, the second curve stuff's really interesting because, as you say, I'm definitely on a, on a slight... What am I on at the moment? I was going to say I'm on a downward curve. I had a really old, bad old day earlier in the week where... I'm kind of putting myself out there and saying to people, I've got these skills, would you be interested in them? And uh, this is what I do, and this is my new company that I'm setting up. And sometimes you get stuff back, and it's a very, very exciting time, and sometimes you get nothing. Yes. And I had one of those days, and you just, I just felt like I was very much riding down the second curve. There. Yes, and it's, it's, I call it the freelancer's twitch. You know, it's very exposing to be freelance, because you do swim away from the edge of the reef often. Because of my DNA being an actor by training and background, you know, by default, actors get very good at rejection. <laughs> we don't like it, but that is the choppy sea in which you have to navigate. Mm. And often it's disempowering because you're waiting for a third party that you have no control over to deign to give you a job or not, yeah. which is why, you know, to come to your question, a portfolio career is me over the many years that I've been out there identifying what skills I have and then, I suppose, adding a bit of a painter's palette. Um, if I describe a portfolio career, I often hold a hand up as if I, you know, my five fingers represent the five different fronds or strands to my portfolio career. So Chris Grimes is me, but then the second curve is my communication skills training company but at my core also I run a comedy improvisation company called Instant Wit which to this day is a real passion project and you know one of the best jobs prior to the pandemic but it's coming back that I do once a year is to do something called Instant Wit Laughter Lab in southwest France in a place called Vertiac surrounded on three sides by sunflowers and this is to explore the mindset and methodology which really informs how I work the mindset of yes and you know the idea of anything's possible yes and yes and yes and as opposed to no but no but no but which as grown-ups particularly we're much more hardwired to Mm. but if you say yes more to opportunities in life more windows of opportunity will open for you yeah i'm intrigued by that in the environment agency where i used to work lots of people do their best to avoid that happening and there the phrase is we don't like being no but but we're not quite yes and we're yes if (laughs) 
There's a little bit of caution there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether that's something that you would necessarily recommend. Well, there's yin and yang and there's middle ground, so yang, I've made that up. But interestingly, in terms of sometimes binary thinking is not necessarily very helpful, but an equivalent universe to yes and no but recently was how when we feel overwhelmed in our life you know how we can wake up feeling overwhelmed oh gosh today do you know what i've got to and then i've got to and after that i've got to oh gosh and then after that i've got to and we get caught in the universe of got to got to got to got to got to if you apply yes and to that you just need to change one vowel and it opens up your universe to more optimism you just need to change the o vowel to an e vowel and then suddenly you wake up and go do you know what today i get to and then i get to and after that, I get to, and then by about oh, four gets, you're going, well, hey, look what I get to do today. So even me arriving here today, in truth, I'm feeling very thick-headed because of having had a cold this week. But I was really excited about, ooh, great, don't worry about that, blow my nose, because I get to go and record a podcast, which has a really lovely title, by the way. Oh, thank you. I love that. Because I was feeling that this week. There was a lot of stuff that seemed that I had to do. Failures in your email system are not exciting. They're, yes. they're bothersome. But yeah, that's a really interesting way of flipping it around. In fact, even in the path of this week, we're human. Mm. We need adversity to experience what it's better to be in the sunlight and optimism and all that stuff. But I, you know, I've had a very choppy week in terms of I got dashed on the rock of disappointment when trying to pitch for something. Right. Uh, and then in the end, though, what was very empowering was I was thinking, because I know my value, not in the fact that I'm I'm trying to sort of nuke my day rate into dry dock I was realizing that the other person who I was trying to negotiate with or the other entity I was negotiating with had no idea how to calibrate the value of what I was going to bring I and so I was about to work in the corporate coaching arena and then suddenly I realized they were trying to benchmark me to the equivalent of their son or daughter doing a German lesson online so they're trying to make me come in at about 25 pounds an hour which is not bad money mm -hmm. but corporate coaching does not come in at 25 pounds an hour so i suddenly realized me do you know what i'll just if that's what you're going to pay for that's what you'll get and i don't mean any disservice to anyone who is a phenomenal linguist and teaches german mm -hmm. but i know that i can command far higher rates than that and that's the wrong calibration a bit mm -hmm. like you know the einstein supposition of if you try and audit a fish's capability for its ability to climb a tree mm. it's going to feel quite crap about itself i follow a guy on linkedin called adam grant who is one of those successful american psychologist stroke public thinker characters yeah. and one of the things that he sent around every so often he sends around some words of wisdom one of them was this idea that too often when we get rejection or even acceptance for that matter we see it as a reflection of our true value as opposed to a set of skills that we're offering for a particular yes. situation. That's what you just reminded me of there, which is the idea that, yeah, your skills might not be suitable for the situation. It doesn't mean you are an invaluable human being, but that's how I take it at the moment. And also the notion of how we cope with being dashed on the rock of disappointment quite often. It's a very good lesson because it's not how you're knocked over in life. It's how you get up again. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, dusting yourself off and living to fight another day. Mm. And I realise energetically all in the, I need to do in this situation is realise I can just go and bounce my ball somewhere else and it's a big old universe out there and I'll find somewhere else that will more value the proposition, which people do. That's how I keep working, obviously. Yeah. But there's a lovely mantra which is good work leads to good work. It doesn't mean you're always going to get people trying to offer you good work. I mean, even that applies to the acting universe as well. Sometimes you can get offered a job and actually it's going to be pretty crap. So you've got to get very good at knowing and being discerning about when to say no to stuff as well. Right. I don't just go around the world saying yes to everything. I've learned to be wiser in what to say yes to. So you were saying we'll be a yes and person, but there's a limit to that from what you're saying. Don't say yes to everything. Well, there is an interesting entity out there which is called the Yes Tribe. There's someone called Dave Cornthwaite, who I'm going to interview for my podcast soon. He runs the Yes Tribe, and there's even a Yes Bus. He doesn't just blindly say yes to everything. He says yes to most things, but has a really good lens or awareness of actually that's going to be a pretty quick no. Okay. Uh, so even in his website, get in touch and I'll probably say yes. He says if you don't hook me within the first 90 words, it's probably going to be a no. So in other words, he makes people work to earn it. Okay, interesting. But because of my comedy improvisational love, I love the yes and universe, but of course it's not going to solve everything. Yeah, so why did you start the podcast then? What, can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, interestingly, that has its own extraordinary arc of serendipity in that it came out of complete adversity. 
because at the beginning of the pandemic, my work went off a cliff. Right. And my happy hold my hand up, you know, saying these are my five fronds or strands to my portfolio career. Of the five ways that I thought, well, hey, I'm onto something. I've got five different ways to make a living. Yeah. Four of them just went straight off the cliff immediately. Mm. And so I immediately thought, well, what can I do about this? And of course, it wasn't easy. But the first thing I did was I started a comedy response to the pandemic Facebook group called Hashtag LOL Virus. My all-time comic hero is Stan Laurel. So to this day, there's a Facebook group called Hashtag LOL Virus, spread a little happiness and antivirus in times of adversity. And it was lots of comedy memes, not just to do with the pandemic, but just doing a sort of lol on the daily to cheer myself up, but also mm. feed into a Facebook group. So that, in its genesis point, grew from me just having the idea to ringing up my co-artistic director of our instant wit, Stephanie Weston, saying, I've got this idea. She went, well, OK, I'll help. And then it's now got about 1,500 people lolling along on the daily. So that was one thing. Mm. No money attached to it. And in fact, yet, still no money attached to what I'm going to talk about next and it's not about money it's passion Mm. but it's pulling me towards my future and I think it will monetize now is my podcast which was born out of me having a love of coaching which is for me I've always thought about it as being giving somebody a damn good listening to that was a sort of comic lens on why do I coach what is it I like and Mm. so well I like giving people a damn good listening to where I really focus on the other person's needs, you know, as to how I can help them or enable them to get somewhere different in the choices that they're making. So the Good Listening To podcast was born and it's evolved now and it's called The Good Listening To Your Life and Times with me, Chris Grimes. Mm -hmm. So it's a storytelling podcast where I got really struck with getting people to tell their story and it's evolved now into being a bit like Desert Island Discs but in a clearing and using stories rather than music. Mm-hmm. And I've really enjoyed subsequently now getting on the open road about 18 months in, doing what I call my curated list, which is just going to people I want to talk to as a really good way of opening up my universe more. Mm-hmm. Because it's also, I suppose every time I record a podcast, I'm demonstrating to the world in a non-needy way, but I'm just demonstrating what a good listener I am. Mm -hmm. So that informs, obviously, people's awareness of what I must be like as a coach then. So it's all fueling the same thing. But now I've got really excited about it because it's pulling me towards my future. At the age of 58, very nearly 59, I'd actually really like to be a presenter and because of my, my acting background, because of everything I do is informed by the fact I'm an actor, drama teacher, comedy improvisation performer by training and background. And this is pulling me to the creative space that actually is at the hub of my podcast, which is called The Clearing. It's a place where all good questions come to get asked and all good stories come to get told, which I subsequently realised is the equivalent of the desert island So for me, the energetic space is the clearing. And even talking to you, you'll notice I'm with my body language, I'm putting the clearing not in between us both, but over there. Mm -hmm. So I welcome you into your clearing. So my podcast starts with, what is a clearing like for you, Matt Georges? Where do you go to get clutter-free, inspirational and able to think? And then everything that then unfolds in me encouraging you to let your thinking unfold will take place within the energetic space of the clearing where, again, all good questions come to get asked and all good stories come to get told. And then I bounce you along some really rich storytelling metaphors that I've discovered in my journeying. Mm. And in the clearing is a tree, which is a bit waiting for Godot-esque because of my acting background. And by the way, the clearing is also informed by my first ever theatre book, which is by Peter Brook called The Empty Space. Mm -hmm. And I think about that as a comedy improvisational theatre in the round where it all happens within this clearing. There is a tree and then I shake your tree. And I was talking about Peter Brook. This is a bit waiting for Godot-esque, which is Beckett-y in that I turn up with a tree. I shake your tree. And it's quite an existential tree because out of the tree, we shake out your storytelling apples. And that's a storytelling construct that I love called 54321 where you've had five minutes to have thought about four things that have shaped you, three things that inspire you, two things that never fail to grab your attention. And because of my love of a film Up, which you've probably seen, there's a bit where the dog goes, oh, squirrels, and never fails to get distracted. So the two things you never fail to get distracted by is borrowed from the film Up. And then finally, one quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. Then we stay in the clearing move away from the tree and we talk about alchemy and gold you know what is it you want to reveal to the world in the choices energetically that you're making and then I give you a cake via a bit of Shakespeare 
and we end up talking about the legacy of the conversation. You know, how would you most like to be remembered? Mm-hmm. So it's all very existential with a deliberate invitation to go deep. And what's really profound, by the way, if it wasn't for the pandemic, I would not have had the idea. Mm. And it's probably the best idea creatively I've ever had. You know, I loved Knock Knock 16 years ago because that had a different intention. I was trying to get into the world of, look, I can make short films and it'll help amplify my proposition as an actor yeah. and creative. Whereas now, this is amplifying my ability of everything I've set out to do. You know, I still love talking to people. I love communicating. That's how I make my living. And if it can pull me towards being a, a presenter in the future, if I can make money doing my podcast, ultimately, I can drop the mic happy, mm. actually, because it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. You know, it doesn't cost that much to get a decent mic. And in fact, this is the first face-to-face I've done, which is lovely. It's lovely to be able to do it. But most of the time, you can do it over Zoom. Um, you can get specialist software if you want to, but it's quite low barriers to yes. entry, so a bit of economics for you there. And <laughs> yeah, but it is, you know, anybody can do it. And so there is a bit of a punk aesthetic to it, which is that you can do it if you enjoy it. And by the way, I love Zoom for its functionality because it yeah. derives you, of, if you film it, you get a film file and a sound file and jobs are good. Serendipity Soup is about success and failure. And what bothers me a lot about most success podcasts is that they have a very linear view of people's lives and careers. And especially if somebody's become very successful, there's this sense, I liken it to when you go 10-pin bowling. Have you ever seen like a real pro 10-pin bowler? I have. And they'll bowl it and it goes in an arc, doesn't it? It doesn't yeah. go straight. It goes right over to the gutter as though it's about to tip in. Yeah. And then it teeters on the edge and then it comes back and ba-dum. The strike, the yes. The strike. And it's like, ah, oh, well, the that moment of almost failure was actually all part of this inevitable progression to success. Yes. But that's not how most people live their lives at all. Certainly that's not how I tend pinball. I wanted to ask you, would you say that you're a failed actor? And the reason I ask that is because presumably you wanted to be a, a successful because you've done so much amazing stuff, but I get the sense that if you could be, you would be just an actor. But so few actors get to be at that yes. stage. And by the way, that was a lovely language choice, just an actor. Of itself, just being <laughs> yes. an actor is, is really not very satisfying. You know, I know so many actors who've been dashed on the rock of, my big ambition is to get into the West End. And then they do a show and it's a bit crap because of the ensemble that you have. You know, a really good friend, an ex-flatmate of mine, thought, I've made it because he was in the West End doing Oliver. But he found it exhausting, relentless, repetitive. Not to say that being in the West End is not phenomenal, but actually what's a really good lesson in life is that it's not just the da-da moment, it's what's next which even informs the second curve. It's what's next. And then we know from Stoicism and other bits of wisdom, life is not the living atop the mountain, it's the journey towards the summit. Mm. We hear so many stories of people reaching what everyone else would perceive as being their plateau of success, but they get very disappointed there. So, yes, I am a failed actor in that lens, but I'm now happy to report that I'm a successful creative because I'm still trying to navigate and find my way through Mm. and my goalposts have changed exponentially over the years. And even in the last 18 months, I've Mm. tilted and adapted and I've got a new frontier now. It reminds me, have you seen there's an animated film out called Soul? I have seen it. Yes, yes, yes. The wonderful pianist chap who walks out and, yes. And and he, oh yeah, we don't want to, no spoilers. No spoilers. Anyway, that film, all right, one spoiler. One spoiler, which is there's a part in that film where he achieves his aim. He becomes the pianist accompanying this amazing jazz singer, amazing band. They smash the evening, they just knock the crowd out. It's amazing, and he gets to the end, and they, you know, it's late, almost early morning, and they go out on the street, and he says to this wonderful singer, he's like, wow, what next? And she's like, oh, we'll come back and we'll do it again tomorrow night. And he's like... Sorry? And she's like, well, yeah, we'll just keep doing that. Yeah. And that is the essence, in my view. I think it's a very deep film in its own way. Yeah. For me, that was the message I took away, was that this thing he'd been aiming for all this time wasn't what he thought it was. Yes. And have you heard the expression, life is a wicked mess? 
it's just this complete it's like a bowl of spaghetti just flopped on the floor mm. everyone thinks their graph of success as you said is linear mm. but actually I love the fact we've been absolutely all over the flipping shop to be the right way up here now today you know here today 16 years later we've had highs lows lows highs pain delight joy anger arguments we've been all over the flipping shop in a sort of life is a wicked mess struggling with mental health issues as well during the pandemic i've suffered with that too i'm trying to get my timeline right around about the time we met it might have been just before but in when i look back i'm 58 very nearly 59 when i was 42 i had an absolute year of the wibble where i had more anxiety than i've ever experienced in my entire life and so it's just acknowledging that success is not linear Success is actually being grateful to be alive and getting up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the balance that I'm, and, and that I always end up discussing with people on this podcast because where is that line between the, there's definitely, as you say, if you're not careful, you forget the things that you should be grateful for. As you say, you get up in the morning, you've got a roof over your head, and so on. Yes. Perspective and gratitude. Perspective and gratitude, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Count your blessings. Yeah. But how do you stop that becoming complacency? And then on the other hand, you know, you've talked about lots of different things that you're aiming at, you know, portfolio career, lots of different things that you do, amazing and linked but quite separate and different yeah. in their own way. When does striving for something become too much? It's the yes and question. Yeah. You could say yes to literally everything and burn out Yes. Like that. By the way, that is the big challenge. It's burnout. If you say yes to everything, you will burn out. Because there's a lovely quote about energy, which is your energy is like a precious pot of golden honey. You've got to be very, very careful where you pour it. And so the older we get, you know, I am a bit like a Duracell bunny. I'm incredibly energised and passionate and engaging and all that stuff. But I can get a bit scorched out. Mm. And, you know, there's even a lovely three concentric circles model of comfort, risk, panic. You know, I'm always happier if I'm not comfortable, but risking a bit, mm. but nobody wants anyone to panic. Mm. So the analogy of swimming away from the reef a bit, I like it if the water's getting a little bit cold, but I don't want to be panicked. But I always want to be risking something in a creative push. And someone described of me recently in trying to sort of, I suppose, bottle me and say what I experience in you. And they said, you're a bit of a mosaic, aren't you, Chris? You like things to be in lots of different pieces to what you do. So to put together the jigsaw of me, you need lots of mosaic pieces. And I feel very fueled by doing lots of different things. But I've realised, you use that idea about our world's recolliding in mm. universe terms. It is about trusting that at the core of my direction is in my DNA is a bit like being a, a sort of entertainer and an actor when I set out. But an entertainer is all-encompassing because it means it's about giving people a good listening to. So it's informed by being a drama teacher, an actor, and a comedy improvisation performer. And that's all pulling me towards my future. I was thinking about why I'd set the podcast up. And, and I think it was because I was in search of answers. And I think I'm still in search of those answers. And this is why I'm having these conversations with people, especially people who I think I'm jealous of. That was my starting point, that I had to interview people that I was jealous of. And I think what I'm jealous of with you, Chris, is... That's very generous of you to say that. Well... I'm just, I was suddenly just thinking, blimey, are you jealous of me? I was thinking when, when you were saying that. Definitely. And I think there's a couple of aspects to it. One is that you seem from the outside, and I'm sure this is a front that you have constructed, <laughs> but you seem from the outside very comfortable with the choppy waters that you've described. You seem to have made peace with the fact that maybe you're not going to be the actor that you know you might once have thought you wanted to be and you're not just intellectualizing that you're not just saying okay I get the fact that I'm not going to now have a starring role in a film or EastEnders should that have been I, I realized very quickly there's only so little I really really want to be in actually so I absolutely made peace with the sort of being dashed on the rock of actor disappointment because I'll get to the top of my own plinth going I'm now where I want to be what is that then? What does your plinth look like? Well, it'll change and evolve, and that's what's exciting, because it is the journeying, and feeling creatively engaged and connected is what keeps fueling me on. I mean, the day I talk to Michael Palin, I will have made it, I can drop the mic and die happy, but actually, that'll be such an amazing day, but then it's a bit like, right, what's next then? Because 
I now appreciate that is a symbolic clearing that I need to get to. Also, I'm nervous about when and if and how and when I can ask him because if he says no, that would be very disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the, there's a bit of comedy in that too. I'm really intrigued to know, just tell me a bit more about why you might be jealous because I just seem to be I think happy. You, yeah, you seem comfortable spinning so many different plates. You seem to have got to the point, which I'm not at yet, where your success seems to be completely self-determined. Whereas I think my success is very much, less so now maybe, but is very much externally determined. I think of how I want to look to other people, and I'm not necessarily talking money. I mean, there's a group of people who want to look rich yes. to other people. But I think my status, I think I want to be a public intellectual, a yeah. thought leader. I want people to kind of go, you know, my George, it's goodness me. He said something profound yet again. Yeah, yeah. And he's just hit the nail on the head. There was a a pocket in your life, which I hope you don't mind me going to, where I noticed on LinkedIn you were incredibly brutally honest with yourself about your relationship to mental health that you were experiencing. And you were so honest and so direct and forthright about it. It created a wonderful reaction around you because people were thinking, thank heaven somebody said it. So I perceived you as being incredibly brave. And I, I hope I, I think I did. I tried to lean in and go, wow, that was brilliant what you just said. Yeah, you did, Chris. Thank you. The, the thought leadership stuff can become quite... When people reach that sort of nirvana of I am a thought leader, mm. honestly, they can say anything and people go, oh, great. I mean, there's a thought leader out there who is brilliant and he's come up with a really brilliant three concentric circles model. It is brilliant. But he can just say stuff like now, stuff like leadership is great. And everyone goes, oh, just <laughs> fantastic. Well done. So I think there is a sort of... There is Emperor's New Clothes-ness you know, going back to the acting path, there is a lot of Emperor's New Clothesness to the perception of what it's actually like, because I think it can be incredibly lonely as well. Mm. You hear about people's mental states a lot with being in front of hundreds of thousands of people at a concert, and talking about people like Robbie Williams now, where the real abyss and loneliness happens when you just go into your own hotel room door, And all we can hear is the hum of the air conditioning, having had, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people baying with adoration moments before. And in fact, interesting, I stumbled onto that name. Then we've got Robin Williams, the most brilliant, genius, comic, creative mind in my life. And of course, tragically, he took his own life. Whereas outside looking in, you think you've got everything you could ever want. You've got all the work you could want, all the adoration from those that work alongside you. You've got respect from your industry. You've got all the award ceremonies, but of course it was tragically empty. I completely agree with what you're saying. I had that moment myself. I don't know if you're a cricket fan, but you know Andrew Flintoff? Yes. And he did a brilliant, brilliant TV programme about men's mental health where he interviewed people like Vinnie Jones, Marcus Dreskothic... And there was a few others as well. Oh, Alistair Campbell, Tony Blair's former press yes. And as individuals, take or leave them, there's you know, some of the stuff they've done and said. But the way that they talked about it, and Stephen Fry, of course, is another yes. example. I just thought, I think that is what's kind of confused me. Because these are people who, everybody knows the idea of the hollowness of fame. And so you say, okay, but talking now to people who aren't necessarily kind of famous just for being famous. We talk about people who are very good sportsmen or very good actors or very good politicians or whatever it might be. And yet they still didn't have whatever they needed. You know, there was this real emptiness inside Yes, a hunger and an emptiness and a a void. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think, well, how do you get around that? My sense is that you don't have that void. My sense is that you are satisfied with what you've got and where you're going. And I wonder how you've got it. And and it's not quite as straightforward as that because I, obviously, I too am human. I know that's an obvious thing to state, but actually I do seek external validation. I really want my podcast to be successful. I really want, I mean, all we all want is a universal truth, even when teaching the world how to just make better relationships. We all want to be seen, to be valued, to be noticed and to be appreciated. And that doesn't have to be bathed in the glorious light of fame. It's very factors to just want fame for fame's sake which is what's very worrying for a lot of young people nowadays but I just think a universal truth is even if you're happy in your job are you seen valued noticed and appreciated 
notice the tone there. It's not, are you seeing value? Mm. Noticed and appreciated. It's just the day-to-day. Do I feel like I'm con- contributing? Do I feel that someone respects and rates what I do? Do they say thank you if I contribute something? Uh, and so I think humans want validation. I mean, I, I'm not a stereotypical clown whereby I've got a really dark soul of despair. <laughs> I'm generally an optimist. I'm a yes-ander. My glass is half full. And indeed, what I anchor to is stoicism in the, in the pandemic period. Something that's really helped was a comedy quote and a more serious quote, which has got me through navigating the choppy waters of the pandemic. During the pandemic, what really helped me in terms of perspective, gratitude, particularly the word perspective, I stumbled upon an email strand called the Daily Stoic. But it's the ancient wisdom, because this is not the world's first pandemic. This is not our first rodeo, whatever (laughs) metaphor. The beginning of the pandemic, when everyone was saying, oh, we're all in the same boat. Mm. And I was struck really quickly. No, 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 no. We're not in the same boat. We're actually all in the same storm. But everyone's vessels of resilience, even in how we're talking about mental health, everybody's vessels of resilience are totally individual and idiosyncratic. I was looking for something else rather than just the fatuous language of we're all in the same boat. So I found that. And then the Daily Stoic coughed up the most brilliant Marcus Aurelius quote, which is never worry about the future because you will greet it if you have to with the same weapons of reason which today arm you against your present. If I give you the comedy version of that, it was from Finding Nemo and the character Dory going... Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And she's got no short-term memory retention, Mm. which is the comedy tragedy of her character. You know, obviously I have got a good short-term memory, but I'm thinking if I just keep going, if I keep swimming, going fall back to the question of how I navigated this path of serendipity to still be the right way up being a creative, is I'm just keeping on swimming and actually adapting to life's tides. Rather than being a jellyfish, I'm trying to be a dolphin and try and swim to where I want to get to. Where do I want to be? And I'll try and swim towards it. And the island I end up on is always different, and that's okay. And yet, I've also suffered real existential angst because of the age I am, because of the age my children are, the age my parents are. You know, I've suffered the weirdest sleep rhythms of my life during the pandemic often still to this day wake up at half past four and can't get back to sleep again i have my best ideas at about half past four in the morning but it's also incredibly exhausting having Mm. those ideas at half past four in the morning so you know life is a wicked mess and i'm here attesting to my wicked mess (laughs) but if you keep swimming and just keep going and trust the relationships around you even if they are choppy sometimes it's the human condition Mm. and, and adversity happens You talked about your heart and soul being an entertainer. We've got you actor, drama teacher, improv... What's the word for that? Improviser? Comedy improvisation performer. Um, During the pandemic, I was on a bike ride, and my bike is my freedom. Universe is colliding again. Someone I've not seen since before the pandemic, maybe four or five years. (gasps) He was there with his son, who's now a man. Anyway, I exchanged niceties with the dad about surviving the pandemic, and then the magic moment happened... Because as we were about to ride off, I heard his son say, who is that, Dad? And then his dad said, oh, that's Chris. And then the son said, what does Chris do? And just as they were about to ride off, he went, oh, he's a, he's, a, he's a motivational comedian. And on my podcast banner, I'm now Chris Grimes, motivational comedian, facilitator coach. <laughs> and it's because someone external to me told me what they got from me. Uh, and so entertainer sounds like I'm going to be a, sort of a, a Z-class celebrity doing some show numbers for you. So entertainer is at its core because Stan Laurel is my all-time comic hero. But I'm pulling towards my future by thinking I can help people to communicate better and I can make you laugh because I do comedy as well. So motivational comedian is a force of motivation but using comedy and storytelling to get there. He summed you up very well in only two words off the top of his head because how do all these apparently relatively different things coalesce into one person that is Chris Grimes? And motivational comedy, I like that. I do remember I went to see Instant Wit with my wife here at the Tobacco Factory. There's another brilliant bit of serendipity. Here we are in the Tobacco and Factory, are you doing your first live. Yeah, and, and I loved it. And one of the things I loved about it, I love improv, but also... There's so much energy to it. 
Because I remember seeing Paul Merton and his improv chums, and they, even beforehand, you could see they were pumped. They yeah. were like, we're going to do it. And it's incredible how infectious it was. So I get that motivational element of comedy, I really do. I can see that that is a kind of core thing that's driving you through. So correct me if I'm wrong. You're not aiming for any particular thing necessarily. You're aiming to follow this idea of who it is and what you enjoy doing. And that something might pop along, like the idea for a podcast, and then you craft it into the shape that fits how you are and how you want to be. Is that roughly right? Yes, it is. It's evolving the creative spark and making sure that it still feels congruent and authentic to where I now feel I should be. You know, Knock Knock was my obsession. Mm. The character that we both met in Knock Knock got quite dark and I didn't like the character in the end but he was a jokeaholic in a wheelie bin why? because he could have been a comedy contender he could have wheelie bin somebody and if you think about the surety of your question about are you a washed up disappointed actor (laughs) Stan Trolley was my way of metaphorically putting that into a big fuck off wheelie bin and it literally was a monolithic bin I could have CGI'd it, but I did get this eight-foot monolithic bin made. And it was a big beast to transport around. And I did try doing some outdoor stuff, but it was absolutely flipping exhausting. And someday, a really good friend of mine said, you could just stop that project, if you liked. And that was an enormous relief, because I realised it was a huge analogy for what was going on for me, because I love metaphor and analogy. But I'm really glad that Stan Trolley, who's still out there, not literally, because I have nothing to do with it, but he's still floating out there, I lost my login to what it would be to delete it off YouTube. It's still there. But I'm really happy to report that people don't find Stan Trolley if you Google Chris Grimes. No. He's just out there. Was this? I suppose it was a real catharsis for me. And then I did something far more entertainment. I did something called Turnip and Flange, where I personified Archie Turnip and Harry Flange. And it was called Welcome to the Old Style Music Hole. So it's this, this portal which informs me talking about my podcast now, which is Welcome to My Zoom Hole, which I often talk about when I bring people into the space. Do you remember the Steve Jobs speech, the Stanford graduates, where he said, if you look over your shoulder, you can join the dots up backwards as to what brings you here today. did it to Stanford graduates when he was in remission from pancreatic cancer, and it's still on YouTube. It's, I think it was 2006, something like that, mm-hmm. but Steve Jobs telling Stanford graduates, you know, here you are, you're about to throw your mortarboards into the air, anything is possible, but I'm here to tell you don't get complacent because your moment in the sunshine is now, carpe diem, seize it. And let me tell you this, because I'm dying, he didn't say that, but we knew that, and the really profound thing in terms of leadership journeys now, as I like to coach about, if you look over your shoulder, you can join the dots up backwards. Any one of us, our life path to this point makes sense when you look at it with hindsight. The biggest challenge we all face existentially is how the heck do I plot that towards my future? And even a schematic I saw a few days ago where if you see about the huge delta of wicked mess that got you to now, we now think, oh, our future is linear. It's not. It's going to be another delta. So we've got two fronds of a delta that's brought you to now, but your life is also a delta because there's going to be shit out there that's going to happen to you that you can't plan yet. And the age I am now, I'm going to be 59 in a couple of weeks' time, you know, I'm feeling that existential angst, as I mentioned. I'm happy to report I'm here happy and well. I'm knackered because I don't sleep very well at the moment. <laughs> just last weekend, I reconnected with a friend. And just about a week ago, I was out for supper with him, which is just a joy to be back in each other's company because we've got history. And he came up with a really fantastic expression at the age we are. He said, yeah, life's just all a bit in the U-bend at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> And it's because the pandemic has put humanity into a bit of a U-bend where there's been quite a lot of shit before. We're facing a lot of environmental shit now, COP26 coming up Mm. post-pandemic. So life on planet Earth is a little bit in the U-bend at the moment. It does feel that way. That's fascinating. When you look over your shoulder, I think this is what I was trying to get to that bothers me about the Traditional Success podcast. It's not just that singular arc of narrative that says, I started out here... I nearly failed, I learned from that, I became a success. It's how anybody's story, once you look backwards, always fits a narrative. You can always look back and fit it and say, well, of course. And what I'm saying is if you look back on anybody's life, it's simply 
a series of moments of serendipity. Yes. Bouncing off each other. But I think what you've added to that is the analogy, metaphor, I'm trying to work out the difference, is <laughs> of the dolphin and the jellyfish. So what I was saying there is almost like we're jellyfish. We just kind of bounce from one thing to another and some yeah. people make it and some people don't. But the dolphin doesn't do that. The dolphin gets buffeted by tides and yeah. probably fishing nets and other dolphins and sharks and goodness knows what. But it's got a purpose. It's moving somewhere. Does it's it have a purpose? It's intelligent and it's deciding where to go. Because here's an adage which helps everybody. The difference in life between what you want and what you get is what you do. If you're a jellyfish, you're not doing anything apart from you're being drifted about by the tide and you are literally beholden to the tides. And that's why so many jellyfish are washed on the beach because the tides actually suddenly left you. Oh, too late. There's a lovely leadership model, which is the grid matrix of four quadrants. And it's lovely. It's dominance versus warmth, which I borrowed this from. And are you a shark, a dolphin, a jellyfish or a goldfish energetically? Using dominance and warmth, you know, we all work alongside and know quite a lot of sharks, please. You know, people who are low on empathy. Low on empathy, dark high eyes, on dominance. High on dominance. They get shit done. Companies love them because they hit the numbers. But yeah. my God, you don't really want to let them bite you and get the feeding frenzy going. So, of course, we want to be a dolphin because they are killers. They hunt, they gather. They can be a bit facetious. They can, excuse my French, they can piss about with blowfish sometimes and sort of poke them so they go, and then they go, <laughs> they can enjoy themselves, apparently. So they're, they're not all, you know, they, no, they, that, they play. Got nothing, my they have a wicked sense that. of humour. Yeah, yeah. But dolphins are social, they're playful, they kill if they need to, they hunt in packs, but it's collaboration. So in that equation, I think to survive in the world, you actually need to be a dolphin in shark's clothing. <laughs> you've got to be discerning in life which battles are worth fighting and then there's jellyfish as we've described and then the worst thing of all or the most comic thing of all is to just be a goldfish you know? just absorbing oxygen and thinking everyone's called Bob to come full circle on that risk the idea of remember this the difference between what we want in life and what we get is what we do and so I'm proud of that in my own framing of this. And I hope in me telling you these stories that the listeners or you are inverting this to, how does this work for me then? It's to get you to know that the proactivity involved, it's the energy towards. Mm. The, all change in life happens because you decide to do something. Some change happens because you just waited it out long enough. <laughs> That's okay. But the notion coming full circle of a second curve is the curve is going to wane because change is inevitable and emotionally intelligently it's what can we do work out where you are on your curve every now and again in life we can feel on the crest of a wave of I'm on fire this is exactly where I want to be mm. but most people I meet and coach are on the downward trajectory somewhere so I then work with them to go okay so what can we do that's going to appeal to your future what's going to pull you out of that quagmire right. rather than it flatlining life getting shit for quite some time and then we do a second curve which yeah. a lot of people do Myself included, I've not always been a human dynamo knowing exactly where to go next. And the pandemic has been a battle. But 18 months is the stereotypical period of time when transition really takes place. It's not over yet, but you know the idea that the average human being takes 18 months to become fully operational in a new job role. If you're bringing about profound change in a career change, it's likely that your new business will be much more on its feet within 18 months, obviously, because you've put the work in. Yeah. And we get frustrated as humans because we're impatient. And by the way, that's a huge irony in my life. In my family, there's a mantra which is patience is a virtue daddy doesn't have. So my <laughs> impatience is partly what fuels me. It pulls me towards my future. Are you aiming for anything? What would you define as success for you? My big agitator is, have I got enough financial security to make the choices I want to make? So money's a twitcher for me. I call that my freelancer's twitch. Mm. And during the pandemic, when the work went off a cliff, I'm talking about creative endeavours, but it's been incredibly tough financially. And yet, it was a client that got me through because they paid me everything up front as if I'd done it. And in my just keep swimming, just keep swimming, there was an amount of money which is just enough to squeak to the other side. Wow. So come the day we can canonise a client, I know who I'm going to canonise. Really? That's <laughs> incredible that yeah. they do that. I mean, that speaks to an incredible relationship you've built up with that client, that they value you that much. That's incredible. The lovely reciprocity. You know, one of my favourite words is reciprocity. What you give out, you'll get back. You know, mm. good work leads to good work. You know, I want to be valued for doing what I'm doing, not in a needy way, but it's a bit like, you know, I talked earlier on about a client almost 
not insulting me, but benchmarking me in terms of the value that I can add in a way that just doesn't compute. Mm. And by the way, money's not the great motivational force we all think it is. We've just got to have enough so we don't need to worry about it. I don't mean you need to be a fat cat and get rich or have a rocket that blasts you into space. I got asked the most brilliant, brilliant question once about money, which was they sat me down. I was about to sign up to be an associate or not, depending on what they then said. They said, so, Chris, tell me, what's your resentment rate? (laughs) Wow. And I thought, that is actually a brilliant question because there's an an amount beneath which you think, you know what, I'll just go somewhere else. Because then if they offered you a pound above your resentment rate, you'd still resent them. So your resentment rate would go up, right? ebbs and flows, because I do loads of stuff in my life for the love of doing it. And that is my currency. That is currency enough. Passion is a huge currency in my life. Mm. That lovely benchmark about whether you'll do something. And there's three things to consider. Will I enjoy it? Uh Will it pay me enough? Will it further my career in any way or further my life but it's a really good philosophy for anyone to decide out there if you want to do something rather than just saying yes to everything all you need to consider does it meet one of the following three pillars enjoyment enough pay to make it okay and will it further my life in any way and you know we're not exchanging money at all today but it's an absolute pleasure to be here yeah i was just thinking that this podcast meets two of the three so one is enough, two is, <laughs> two is a bonus. Yeah. And actually, this is a, a rich exchange of currency, which actually is differently measured to money. Maybe I've been bashed in by all my economic training that I think there's only one form of currency. And you're right, that sense of passion and energy, you really do pick it up from people. Coming back to the instant wit idea, it's incredible how that energy is transmitted to the audience. You know, I get it talking to you now. I could carry on talking for ages. So can I just say thank you so much for making the time? It's been a real pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Huge thanks to Chris for taking the time to talk to me and for being such fun and interesting company. Thanks also again to the Tobacco Factory for hosting us, and as ever to Julian Holmes for his awesome cover artwork, to Anna Gunn for editing, to Acast for hosting the podcast, and of course to you for listening. Remember, if you think you could add some flavour to Serendipity Soup, get in touch. You can email me at soupofserendipity, or one word, at gmail.com, message me on LinkedIn, or tweet me using the handle at soupserendipity. Thanks again for listening, and see you soon for another serving.